This week on The Sport Blokes. This week, Ormedetto Hideki Matsuyama. We look back at round four of the AFL and discuss Damien Hardwick's loan system idea. Outs? Really, England? Outs? And Kevin Durant versus Michael Rappaport in the basketball world. So much as always, let's go. Stewie, as we do at the top every week, what caught your attention and what did you miss? Well, what caught my attention this week was probably the worst umpiring decision I've ever seen in my life. And I know people often exaggerate with that phrase, but this one absolutely (laughs) has to take the cake, certainly in the football world at the very least. So we've got the tale of woe from Donald Football Club from the tiny city of Donald in Victoria. Uh, In fact, Calling it a city is probably a bit of an <laughs> overstatement. It's a little town. It's out near Horsham and, and the brilliantly named locality of Dubu Betik. Mm. Classic. Mm. Anyway, they're playing against Wedderburn. The score is 56 all, and Brendan Goss has a shot after the siren to win the match from about 20 metres out, slight angle. So he waltzes in, slams it through. Yep. And a point would have been enough. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So a score, any score would have. Any score would have done. Yep. But absolutely, as regulation, a goal is you'd have liked. But the non-officiating field umpire, who I will mention Donald had had issues with before, has come running in claiming that Goss had played on and the goal was disallowed. I've watched the footage about 15 times trying to see if he's (laughs) stepped sideways at Uh, all, and i got nothing. This umpire should never be allowed in a football field ever again. I must admit, I had it on my short list to watch, but I didn't actually get to it in the end. But if you've watched it 15 times, I'll trust your judgment. Honestly, in the words of the Simpsons Australian episode, that's a bloody outrage it is. Oh, yes. Give him the boot. Also, I was watching some highlights from the 2004 NBA Finals the other day, and I saw something that I'd completely forgotten about. How shit was floor cam? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That little camera they put in the keyway to show you a really average angle of any play or a shot up their shorts. It's like that sideline cam during the bubble matches. Yeah. Terrible. Overthinking. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes less is more. How about yourself, mate? Well, it's funny. After I mentioned the Buffalo Sabres going on an 18-game losing streak, they actually won three of the next four games. (laughs) So they won their very next one. So it stopped at 18. And then, they, yeah, as I say, they won three of four. So Odds on. I think their fan base will be relieved and happy about that, unless they're tanking, of course. And I, don't, I don't know enough about that. That's good to hear another team's listening to our podcast. And then the other one, congratulations to the Melbourne Victory in the W League. They upset Sydney in the final 1-0 in an absolute nail-biter right at the end. Apparently very exciting. One of the most ridiculous game-winning goals you'll ever see. Yeah, I didn't see I must admit I didn't see it, but uh, directly, I saw the result. Directly from the corner. Right, right. It's basically, wow. yeah, it's yeah. killed it in and beaten her at the, uh, at the far post. Uh, after we saw that incredible bounce in that North Melbourne goal wow. in the AFLW last week. We've delivered some highlights There's from the been, women. Been some absolute crazy finishes. Yeah. What'd you miss, mate? Well, I have to admit, I didn't see a single ball of the Marsh Cup final, sadly. Yes, you and me both. I feel like I didn't really miss anything. <laughs> we'll get there. But, uh, I mean, when you're going up against a bowling lineup that has Mitchell Stark, Josh Hazelwood, Sean Abbott, and Nathan Lyon, and let's be honest, Ben Dwarshes is a pretty handy Oh, it's, well, it's pretty much the Australian lineup, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, With yeah. a couple of handy fringe guys. Yeah, yeah, you're fighting an uphill battle all the way. So, unfortunately, did miss that. How about yourself? Well, I missed that too, and we will get there. But the other thing, I missed the Spurs beating Dallas in an absolute cracker yesterday. Oh, so I look forward to watching that one. Ah, uh, the old DeMar DeRozan step back. Yeah, see, so I read about it. I don't know what happened, but I, I, I haven't watched the game. And then the other one in the basketball world was the Wildcats versus Breakers today. But you and I watched the last five minutes of regulation and overtime. So we might talk about that one I think we kind of have this to. evening as well. 
Now, you want to kick off with the Masters, Chewy, which makes perfect sense because a pretty exciting one is now in the books. Yeah, I mean, obviously, the big news in the golfing world, world number 25, Hideki Matsuyama, becoming the first Japanese-born player to win a major golfing championship. Hell, he was the first Japanese man to ever enter the final round with a lead. Well, let alone win it. Exactly. Yeah. And he made it interesting, didn't he? Because he he let his lead shrink a little bit towards the end. He did. He did. I'll, I'll talk about that in just a second. They always refer to the third round in a golf tournament as moving day, kind of like how they refer to it as the championship quarter and that sort of thing. That actually ended up being the difference in this tournament. So he actually had a a seven under 65 in the third round while everyone else was really struggling. That pretty much was what allowed him to hold on. And as you say, he did struggle a little bit. He dropped three shots on his last four holes. He was very, very iffy for those last few. Luckily for him, Xavier Shawfully actually had a triple bogey six on the par three 16th. Mm. So he managed to put his into the water and ended up with a, a triple bogey just when he was really starting to sort of hunt him down. But uh, yeah, American Will Zalatoris was the second place finisher one shot behind. Really, really cool footage though at the end of this. His caddy, Shota Hiyofuji. Oh, the bow. Calmly putting the flag back <laughs> in at the 18th and bowing to the course. Oh, that Prince is essentially Japanese. One, one of my favourite things when I went to Japan was that, just the respect they show. Uh, yeah, a great, great win. But we do have some interesting talking points so the first one relates to Matt Wolf. Now, if people don't know who Matt Wolf is, you may have seen videos of a guy just before he hits every shot doing a really weird sort of knee buckle. That's Matt Wolf. Now, he basically got disqualified after the second round because he delivered a scorecard with an incorrect score on it. He was actually the first guy disqualified from this tournament since Larry Nelson in 1992. Now, he'd actually taken a, a five on the 17th hole, but he put down a four, which was obviously an error. Was it? Was It It was just an error, wasn't it? It wasn't nefarious. Absolutely. Yeah. But under Rule 3.3b, referring to a player's scorecard, if a hole score is lower than actually taken on that hole, the player is disqualified. It's from about 19 dickety two. Well, before they had cameras and a million people watching. And that's the thing. So, look, I'll say this before we get into the, the discussion side of things. Wolf was never going to make the cut. I mean, he was 10 over par. The cut was set at three over. So he was miles away from doing it. But as you say, we live in the 21st century. You've got cameras everywhere. You've got marshals all over the course. People on Twitter. Why is it that the players have to control their own scorecard? I understand it's a a game of great history and and tradition, but surely... Potentially one of the anachronisms that doesn't need to be there anymore. Yeah, we don't don't ask players in the AFL to do their own scoring. We don't ask players in the cricket to mark down a four or a six or a single every time they take one. Why is it that this game, okay, admittedly, it's a lot slower than those other games. We don't ask NBL players to call their own intentional fouls in stupid ways. This is exactly right. Yeah. So I don't understand why this is even an issue. And this is a obviously not a, a great example because it's a player who wasn't ever in contention to win it. But can you imagine if that had happened to Hideki Matsuyama? It's tricky, isn't it? Because on one hand, rules is rules. But on the other hand, yeah. yeah. This is a rule that doesn't need to be there. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, a little bit silly. Now, we move on to Mexican player Abraham Answer. He was a little bit luckier than Matt Wolf, but a couple of grains of sand cost him about $80,000. Yeah, yeah, that's the answer to a question of which mistake do you not want to make? <sighs> exactly. So a TV camera actually caught his backswing inside a bunker on the 15th hole, clipped the sand just before he went into his backswing and dislodged it a little bit. Now, he's gone onto the green, he's putted out for a bogey, but because he technically grounded his club in a bunker, it's a two-shot penalty, even though he didn't really gain an advantage from it. 
Mm. Now, as a non-golfer, Nath, how dumb a rule does that sound? Well, it's, it's a bit like the travels they don't call at the top of the three-point line because it's not really materially affecting a game, mm. isn't it? I'm notoriously clumsy. I'd be pinged for this sort of shit all the time if I were a golfer. <laughs> well, <So> I, <laughs> it's, it's easy enough to do. I sympathise. He barely touched it. So, yeah, I mean, he's not compacting the living shit out of it like Patrick Reed. I don't really think it's that big a deal. But again, I guess rules is rules. Yeah. And look, I know it happened in round one. We can't say that he definitely would have finished with the same score if that penalty wasn't enforced. But if you say that he would have, his prize money would have gone from just under 80 grand to just over 160. It's significant. Yeah, that's, that's bringing a new kind of rough to go. Oh, yeah, that's rough, all right. And speaking of rough, Siwoo Kim didn't have a putter for a few holes. Yeah, this is an absolute cracker. Anyone who's played golf, at the very least, has probably considered breaking a club. <laughs> Now, I'm uh, I'm at about five myself. I think I've broken <laughs> my time. I am a notoriously angry golfer. I wonder if people have like crappy old ones that are there purely for destroying when they're really upset. I have three of them in my bag yeah, right that's, now. Yeah, just <laughs> the one you I, pick up at the op shop. Because yeah. I've got a brand new set of clubs. And I, if I'm going to break anything, it's going to be one of these old ones. But yeah, how's this in round two? Siwoo Kim broke his putter after slamming it into the ground on the 15th hole. Yes, I know. What is it with the 15th? Oh, yes. Not the 13th. I thought par fives were meant to be bread and butter for these professionals, but that was a par five that absolutely had these guys by the short and curly. But uh, anyway, he's broken his putter and decided to finish the last four holes putting out with his three wood. And of course, this brought out all the Lee Carvello's putting challenge references again. You have chosen a three-wood. May I suggest putter? Three-wood. Power drive. So, yeah, thankfully his ball didn't end up in the parking lot. (laughs) And he was actually able to par his last four holes, which I thought was incredibly impressive. Mm, mm, Hats off. And luckily he was able to have a replacement shipped overnight and finished in a tie for 12th. So great times. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, look, cracking masters. And it's always nice when it comes down to literally the last part of the tournament to decide if a playoff's required or whoever's going to win. And, and great for a first-timer too, and indeed a first-timer for a countryman. Exactly. For Japan. So, it's yeah, no, good result. Great to say. So, Stewie, we're in mid-April, but the summer of cricket still continues. And as we mentioned at the top, it's it's really a complete afterthought with the footy codes that have begun and all sorts of other stuff going on. People are starting to think about the Olympics and so we forgot the Marsh Cup was even on, even though we West Aussies had a team competing. And the other thing, obviously, is with the IPL stuff. With the IPL, there's all sorts, yeah. yeah. And look, in previous years when WA have been in the final, we've made an effort to watch it in one way or another. But it completely, well, hey, like we said, it's not such a bad thing that we missed it because it seems like it wasn't a very good game at all. And it was a scorecard you might have read in the early 90s, for example. So WA held New South Wales to 251, which is pretty good, really. Edwards had a ton. Hughes had a 58. But in reply, managed a measly 149 with Abbott 4 for 23 and Lyon 3 for 38. Absolutely cleaning up. Yeah, look, this was one of those ones where, as I said before, I missed the game. And when I saw what the scorecard was, I thought... I don't even want to watch the highlights. Yeah, well, there wouldn't have been many highlights. Well, And look, even without Sean Marsh, the WA batting lineup's bloody good in the short form, which is why they made the final. Josh Philippe, Darcy Short, Josh Inglis, then you got guys like Mitch Marsh, Cam Green, Ashton Turner, Sam Whiteman, and then blokes like Agar can swing the willow. So it's a good team, but it wasn't a good match. So I, I don't know. Do we ever need to talk about it any more than that? Well, I mean, if anything, you would sort of say, well, look at the players that New South Wales were missing as well. I mean, Stephen Smith wasn't there. David right. Warner wasn't yeah, there. Yeah, 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 because of the IPL. Yeah, and yeah. They, they were yep. missing several other players as well. You could make a, a case for uh, for Pat Cummins not being there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, hats off. Great win to New South Wales. Pretty average match by the sounds of it. Exactly. 
Now, we'll probably talk about the Shield next week because we've got a lot to talk about this week. But the one that's kind of doing the rounds is the Sam Harper obstructing the field prior to the uh, Marsh Cup final. What do you reckon? Yeah, I mean, it it seems fairly clear-cut, doesn't it? I mean, again, if you go back to the rule books, I guess the only thing that really could go in Harper's favour is Rule 37.2, which states, a batsman shall not be out obstructing the field if obstruction or distraction is accidental. Yeah, I'm not sure that it was. Look, my immediate reaction was that it was out and he made a conscious decision to shift slightly to one side to avoid the throw. I think so. Which which hit him, which meant that it didn't hit the stumps. I think the movement was a little bit unusual. What most guys tend to do is turn around and chuck the bat down. Yeah. But he's just, as you say... Well, turning around is plausible deniability because then if you just cop the ball in the back, you're saying, well, I was grounding my bat. He might not have been given out had he just turned around and taken one step to the right. So, yeah, I thought it was out. So I don't think there's a controversy there. Probably not. But look, the reason the reason why I really wanted to talk about cricket is the bloody hundred. <laughs> you just want to sound off. I want to tee <laughs> off in England. So there's a couple of things that they want to change. And in having a hundred, they need to change the bloody bowling rules. So we've talked about this before. It's all over the place. There's a hundred balls per innings because apparently T20 isn't short enough. Bowlers can deliver either five or 10 consecutive balls. The captain decides. The fielding side changes end after 10 balls, regardless if that was one bloke that delivered them all or if it was two separate blokes. And each bowler can only deliver a maximum of 20 balls. We don't need a just not cricket segment this this week, Stewie, because this isn't even fucking cricket. They don't want to call, <laughs> they don't want to call outs wickets anymore. They want to call them outs. Is it baseball? It's crick ball now. Well, this is the thing I find really weird because they were saying that they wanted to try and speak to a wider audience. What audience are they trying to speak to? Yeah, absolutely. People that don't understand a game that has been in their country for how many hundreds of years? Yeah. Changing that one word is not going to do it. And we've had six ball overs for 50 years. But you're right. I mean, it's not the naming or the terminology that is keeping people away from the game. No, watch it. of course not. It's because they think it's boring. What, like, is it syllables? Is two syllables too much? So we need to change it to a one syllable word. Well, I mean, they're shortening everything anyway. So. Well, yeah, well, exactly. Maybe they just, just call them O's. Yeah. Or W's. So instead of batsmen, we'll just call them hits. <laughs> well, it's funny you say that because they've changed from batsmen to batters, which which I'm fine with because it's gender neutral. I don't have a yeah, problem. I don't have a problem with that. Fine. But why do we have to call wickets outs? Why? I can see it now. Coming into pitch from the pavilion end. Well, oh, it's funny you say that, Stewie. Now, I've got a couple of tweets here, and it's pretty obvious which side I'm on, but here we go. So first off, Alison Mitchell tweeted along those lines. And look, great commentator, very respected, and I agree with a lot of what she says. So what would make cricket simpler is if the word wicket wasn't used to mean multiple things, e.g. a dismissed batter, the thing that the keeper keeps, the thing that must be put down to be run out, and, in brackets, erroneously and annoyingly often, close brackets, the 22 yards of the pitch. Okay. Okay. Yeah, okay. Okay. I tend to favour what Jack Mendel said in a tweet. He called it utterly, utterly nonsensical semantic bollocks. It almost feels like they're trying to de-cricket cricket. They're trying to ensure that this new audience that's supposedly going to tune in to the 100 is basically an audience that has zero interest in cricket. They like crisps, perhaps. To this end, I completely get why someone like me, an actual cricket fan, doesn't understand or like the idea of the 100. It's not aimed at me. But, and it's a big but, there's not room for four formats. Something will have to give. This is a different sport. 
Can I just say that? League is, and Union. That is one of the most British-sounding tweets I've ever <laughs> you, you almost should have done it in an accent because it would, have, it would have made more sense. Well, I don't know where in England he's from. But but you're absolutely right. There's not enough room for three formats as it is. Oh, it's a fucking joke. So, yeah. Boycott the 100. The 100 sucks. Bring on the 74. <laughs> Nothing like Ren. Two overs of 37 deliveries. Each batsman wears blindfolds for seven balls. The outkeeper must sit in an inflatable raft behind the stumps. In an outhouse. <laughs> three of yeah, three of them have to wear thongs or flip-flops, depending on what part of the world you're from. Yep, and the bowler changes flip-flops every 10 balls. That's the pitcher to you. <laughs> exactly, yes. That's the throw man to you. All right, so basically we don't like the 100. No, <laughs> what, what no you don't either? Okay, nah, it's pretty clear what I think. It's a joke. And now, this week in sport history. April 13th, 1986, the Boston Celtics end the regular season with a 40-1 record at home in the fabled Boston Garden, the best single-season home record in NBA history. Their only loss came to the Portland Trailblazers in just the 10th home game, which was followed by 30 consecutive wins. The Celtics would also go 10-0 at home in the playoffs on the way to a championship, beating the Rockets in six games. And there's a five-minute tribute video to this team on YouTube that shows how amazing their passing was, an absolute pleasure to watch. Little known fact, though, there were actually three of those 41 games played at the Hartford Civic Centre for financial reasons that season. Mm. Even little known fact, that team famously traded for Bill Walton from the LA Clippers, traded him for Cedric Maxwell and a 1986 first-round draft pick. That pick actually ended up being traded to Portland, which the Blazers used to get Arvita Sabonis. Anyway... The doctors actually weren't going to pass Bill Walton during his physical, but Red Arback actually came into the hospital, cigar and all. Of course. And forced them to pass him in the physical so that the trade would go through, and the result was probably the greatest team of all time. One of, yeah, right up there. April 14, 1996, the Detroit Red Wings win an NHL record 62 games, closing the season with just 13 losses and seven ties. Now, the crazy coincidence here is that they broke the NHL record the same year that the Chicago Bulls broke the NBA record for most wins in a season with 72. Now, we know that's since been beaten by Golden State with 73 a while back. Anyway, the Red Wings finished just one point short of the all-time record for points in a season, which belongs to the 1976-77 Montreal Canadiens, who finished the season with 60 wins, eight losses, and 12 ties. Amazingly, though, they didn't even make the Stanley Cup finals, as the eventual champion Colorado Avalanche knocked them out in the Western Conference Finals in six games. Even crazier was that this was the first season the Avalanche were in Denver, having been the Quebec Nordiques for the previous 23 seasons. Now, I've got to say, just as I always bang on about the NBA playoffs almost being a different sport due to matchups, goalies are so important in ice hockey, which is probably why low seeds have won. The 2012 LA Kings, for example, won out of the eighth seed in the West in a season that they fired their head coach halfway through the season. Got to love it. And I love the way that there's so many different tangents you can take on these. We start talking about one team and we finish talking yeah, different like sports. Four, of, yeah, <laughs> four or five different teams later. It's so good. April 15th, 1910, William H. Taft becomes the first US president to throw out the first ball at a baseball game. Now, I say first ball rather than first pitch because traditionally the ball was actually thrown by a politician or a president from their spot in the stands. Oh, It was actually only in 1988 when Ronald Reagan became the first US president to actually throw from the mound. Mm. So I thought that was quite interesting. Mm. However, 80 years prior to that, in an exhibition game in Japan, former Prime Minister Okuma Shigenobu threw a first pitch to a batter who very smartly swung and missed on purpose. (laughs) And that's now the tradition in Japan is that they actually have a batter. Throw a strike. Yeah, Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, so I thought that that was pretty cool. Yeah, very nice. 
April 18th, 1994, West Indian cricketer Brian Lara scores 375 runs versus England to beat Gary Sober's 35-year-old world record of 365 as the Windies declared for 5 for 593. England were interestingly bowled out for exactly 593 as well, and the match was drawn. That record lasted until October 2003 when Matty Hayden made 380 at the Wacker against Zimbabwe. Funnily enough, a match you and I were at as uh, snotty-nosed 19-year-olds. We got royally sunburned that day. Oh, God. we have, I have so many stories from that. I don't think we talk about it now, but we'll get to it one day. But Lara broke it again six months later when he annihilated England again for 400 not out. You could almost make a strong case that had Timmy Payne not declared against Pakistan a couple of years ago, Davey Warner would be the current record holder. But alas, that is not true. It's Brian Lara. April 19th, 1897, the first ever Boston Marathon takes place, making it the world's oldest annual marathon after it was inspired by the marathon from the 1896 Summer Olympics in Athens. The race was won by John J. McDermott in a time of two hours, 55 minutes and 10 seconds. The record now actually sits with Jeffrey Mutai at two hours and three minutes and two seconds, with Buzanesh Deba holding the women's record at two hours, 19 and 59 seconds. It's largely been successful. That's about 30,000 competitors every year. However, it hasn't been without tragedy, obviously, most notably the 2013 race, which unfortunately had two bombs that killed three spectators and injured another 264. Oh, yeah, crazy stuff, that one. And there have also been three deaths on the course as well, but there have been so many really cool successes. Jamie Marseille finished the race as a double amputee, which I thought was a, an amazing achievement. And Bobby Gibb actually became the first female to complete the course in 1966 after being refused registration because, quote, women were physiologically incapable of running 26 miles. Jeez. She beat two-thirds of the field. Of course she did. Yeah, Yeah. of course she did. This Week in Sport History. So, Stewie, we have grand finalists in the AFLW now, and they have a standalone game. There originally was going to be a scheduled clash with the blokes, but wiser heads prevailed there, and so they now have a standalone game on Saturday afternoon. Brisbane will be playing Adelaide after Brisbane handled Collingwood in a very close match, whereas the Crows beat Melbourne in, well, a bit of a fizzer, really, where Melbourne only managed one goal nine. It's probably the two teams a lot of people were expecting. Oh, yeah, yeah, no surprise, really. And look, Frio probably were unlucky not to get there, but their second half of the season was really poor. And and even though Melbourne didn't have Daisy Pierce, they had a home win last week and not enough to beat Brizzy, but geez, Brizzy looked good when I saw them live um, against the Dockers. So I'm not at all surprised there in the granny. Yeah, look, I mean, a, a, I suppose a real quick recap of those two games. Look, we'll start off with the Adelaide one because that's probably, as you said, the, the less entertaining of the two. This ultimately came down to inaccuracy, killing the Demons, one goal nine. Yeah, terrible. Not great. Terrible. Nothing highlights that, like Brianna Tarrant hitting the post from about two metres out. Oh, yes. But, yeah, look, this was one of those games where it was a real game of territory, which the AFLW game is traditionally. It's a game of territory and it's a game of scoreboard pressure. But when you don't have somebody who can bomb one 60 metres the way you sort of get in the blokes game, I guess, it makes it a little bit harder. It's a lot easier for teams to lock the ball you know, into that forward half. And Yeah. And, and I guess the other War thing... War of attrition. Yeah. And, and the other thing, I guess, is when you don't score your first goal until the 11-minute mark of the last quarter, it's probably unlikely that you're going to be in any game. Adelaide had some very lovely highlights, but none better than Eloise Jones's beautiful kick from the boundary to squeeze it through for a goal. Yeah, that soccer was amazing. Absolutely amazing. And the absolute nail in the coffin of a game that was probably already over. But Now, the only sad thing is that Chelsea Randall has been ruled out of the match with concussion. So that is going to dampen... Oh, shit. Yeah, that is going to dampen Adelaide's hopes a little. So I'm going to profess here, I'm a massive fan of The Amazing Race. 
and Chelsea and MJ are two of the the characters ah. that the, the latest season of the Amazing Race. Oh, really? Yeah. There you go. Those okay. two actually fell in love on the the show, and they're actually a, an a couple now. now. Right. So it's okay. actually really sad to see her going out. Yeah, yeah. So she won't be playing, unfortunately. But Adelaide will still be very tough at home. Mm. But Brisbane got a good test from Collingwood. They did. Yeah, it looks like did. it would have been a really good game to watch. We enjoyed the highlights. We said we definitely did. Dakota Davidson was magnificent. Three goals, a couple of really big, strong pack marks as well. Yes, there were some good marks in that game. And boy, she likes to celebrate her goal, doesn't oh, she? She does. <laughs> Every she time does. She, she was pumped. That's what you want, though. Oh yeah, no, nothing wrong with it. And then you had a, a beautiful check side goal for their first from Jessica Weishner. I believe yeah, that's how you pronounce it. One of those real German. Names. Oh yeah, that was a cracking kick. But uh, you've got to feel a little bit sorry for Collingwood. They had a goal fairly late in the game that pitched on its end right on the goal line and bounced back about 20 metres. Yeah, that was quite remarkable, really. In, in fact, we spoke about the one that bounced last week. Against North, them. yeah. That yeah. was the absolute opposite. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like it couldn't have bounced any more for Brisbane. So. Yeah, yeah. Now, I did just want to quickly float an idea to you, Nate. Yeah, go on. What are your thoughts on adding a super goal into Hate the it. AFLW? Oh, let me finish it first, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't like Look, it. Look, I'm not trying to belittle any part of their game because, as I said last week, I think the quality of the AFLW game has been absolutely brilliant. But just a thought to potentially lift the scores a smidgen. I mean, I don't know how I, much I, Look, I can is. understand the logic, and it would lift the scores a little because there are players capable of kicking it from outside 50, and we did see it in those highlights from the weekend. But one of the fundamentals of footy is if you can't make the distance, you kick to the top of the square. Try and get a mark like the sort of mark that Davidson was taking and then take a shot from five, 10 metres out. So, no, I don't like it. And and I think you don't want to differentiate too much from the blokes game. Okay, yes, the quarters are shorter. There's good reason for that. The lists aren't as big. They don't have the pedigree that the blokes have because a lot of these girls didn't play in juniors because juniors didn't even exist for them. So... No, I think it's okay. Yes, the scores are a bit lower, but no, I've never liked the Super Goal. I it's I don't think it's the same as a three-pointer. I think it's different to a three-pointer. And even though I, I think I can understand the logic in what you're saying, I think give it a few more years, the scores will keep going up. I've been watching since year one, and I can tell you from year to year, it has improved in leaps and bounds. And you let some of the young girls play juniors and then get into the AFLW, they'll know how to take a tackle. They can kick it further. I think the game will be even better in two or three years' time. Okay, so see out the first generation effectively. Absolutely, yeah. Cool. Yep. So, Shui, we've got to discuss the very big news in the AFL before we go any further. Did Hutto say fuck after Dars kicked his third goal? I'm sorry to be a mood kill, but I don't think he did. <laughs> I, I don't think he did either, actually. I, I firmly believe that he said thud. I think he said fuck, trying to say thud. So th- T-H-U-C-K. Yeah, it sounded like fuck to us. Fuck, okay. Well, yeah, well, yeah. Still. I think he intended to say thud, but it came out as fuck. I think whether you say fuck, fuck, or thud, it's an awkward word and a really weird choice. Yes. <laughs> and nowhere near as good as Brian Taylor's use of it in Grant. <laughs> <laughs> Even though it was in a losing, kicked a goal. losing effort for the Swans. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was the greatest commentary moment of all time. Oh, yes, yes. Okay, we've got to talk about tips quickly, as we do every week. You beat me this time. Yeah, better round for me, seven out of nine. Yep, I had a six. Obviously, after last week, I didn't see St Kilda getting up and knocking off the Eagles, and I didn't see GWS beating the Pies, but I got the rest of them. Yep. I was a little bit wayward with the margin, though. I I had a bit more faith in Sydney. I had them beating Essendon by 32, so it was miles off. How'd you go with, I know you got six, but... Look, I'll be honest, mate. I thought that Essendon was a bit of a danger game after the win against Richmond at the G. 
Uh, so I actually only picked the Swans by six. So I was pretty close there. But I dropped the Geelong and Melbourne game. Now, before we move on, Aith, I know you love stats just as much as I do. Mm. I've got one on my footy tipping. Okay. So it seems that Saturday is my dub day. <laughs> well, I think it's it's been the trickiest day of the whole season so far, actually. So there have been 15 games played on Saturday so far, and I am 6 out of 15 for 40%. Wow. Every other day combined, I'm 18 of 21 at nearly 86%. Mm. So, yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. I think you like stats more than me, Stewie. <laughs> I'm definitely not a fan of uh, no, Look, no one or very few people would have seen that St Kilda win coming. But uh, it just sums up West Coast. Great at home and shit on the road. Well, second half fade outs as well. But, yeah. yeah. But it really was those first two games at the start of the round, wasn't it? And, and there were some similarities, actually. So the home team had a win in the end, but were very inaccurate. And that nearly cost them the match. Sydney beating Essendon and Port beating Richmond. Now, there was controversy in both games. Tom Hickey taking it out of the ruck against Essendon in the dying stages towards the Swans' goal. By the way, I've got a stat on Tom Hickey. His 22 clearances after his first four games for the club are the best of any player. The next best, 16, David Spriggs, 13, Josh Kennedy, 12 for Kirky, Darren Jolly, and Wayne Schwoz. That's pretty decent company. Pretty crazy. And, you know, that's six more than the next best. As but I, anyway, as it, I said last week, you're welcome. Yeah. But anyway, it should he should have been pinged for holding the ball. I don't think it impacted on the match. I think that there was too little time left, and I don't think Essendon would have got it to the other end in time, but he should have been pinged. Yeah. Look, this is definitely not what the change in the rule was all about. Obviously, them allowing the Ruckman to take it out of the ruck and try and move the ball on quickly. I'm okay with that. But when you take two or three steps and then get tackled, that is Oh, it's definitely prior opportunity. Absolutely prior opportunity. But the AFL's come out and said that it's fine. It wasn't holding the ball. So they've set a precedent now. Oh, that opens a Pandora's box. Yeah, so we'll be watching very carefully to see if they consistently enforce the rule that way. Or when they don't. Yeah, well, of course. And then the other one was the rush behind in the Port Richmond game. You've got the rule there. Yeah, well, it's not the official rule, but essentially it's illegal to deliberately concede a rush behind when a player is not under any pressure from the attacking team. That That's the long and short of it. And the key here is pressure. So I actually didn't think... Often blokes will try and disguise it and they'll pretend they have butterfingers. He blatantly handballed it through the goals and he was a good few metres away from the goals. It's not like he was right on the goal line. And the Richmond blokes actually intentionally stopped and didn't tackle him or do anything in order to not put any pressure on him. And yet he still wasn't pinked. Yeah, well, you had Tom Lynch and Jack Rewalt were the two that were around him. There was a third player as well. I'm not sure who that was. but Yeah, they were. They just, it might have been Shea Bolton. They, they just stood there and as if they and, were standing a mark, yeah, you know, where they can't move. Because he's, <laughs> he's gone the big dive in, basically, and yep. handballed at the same time. And yep. potentially he might have perceived that if he had gone in over the ball, they dive on top of him and he's gone for holding the ball. But, yeah, again, this is not what the rule was there for. You're not allowed to basically just go in and and hand pass it over when you're not being pressured. Perceived pressure is not pressure. No, well, yeah, and you can't help but wonder if it had been at the G and it wasn't a port home game, maybe it would have been a different call. Or if it was in the first quarter. Yeah, well, that's true too. Yep, that's true too. And maybe the umpires were thinking about that Brisbane-Geelong game. I don't know. I don't know how much that runs through your head in the heat of the moment, but it it was very borderline for mine. Oh, very I borderline. I don't know if it was borderline. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, my immediate reaction was deliberate. Yeah. But they escaped and it's probably a win they needed. And Richmond, well, Richmond are two and two. 
Well, actually, that's a perfect opportunity. Let's talk about the latter because a lot of the discussion doing the rounds in the AFL media world at the moment is that six, maybe even seven spots in the ladder are already sewn up and the rest of the teams are competing for the last spot. It's a bit of a long bow, I think. I think so, definitely. And look, there maybe is the possibility that they're meaning that a few in the top are sorted and a few in the bottom are sorted. But I think at most there's maybe four teams. You could say that North Melbourne are officially done. Yep. And you could make the case that at 4-0, it's very difficult to miss the final. So you could say that the Bulldogs, the Demons and the Swans are probably locked in. Well, particularly the fact that Melbourne and Sydney have fairly soft schedules because their fixture is based on how they finished last season. So they play the crappier teams from last season more. So I would say that, yes, probably they are in the finals. But the other thing is if you look at Hawthorne, who are second last, they're a game and percentage out of sixth place. Well, and how much faith can we put in the Adelaide Crows at fifth currently? I mean, I, I don't tend to look at the ladder until round seven or eight because I don't think it's relevant until then. I think you've got to have at least nearly two months of footy under your belt. Yeah, I mean, I think going back to your point, the Crows obviously are a much, much better side than they were last season. They're moving the ball a lot better. They're kicking higher scores. And they have won three games. Yeah, but you're right. Fifth is definitely not a spot I expect to see them at the end of the season. Well, you've got to sustain it. Yeah, yeah, you definitely do. And likewise, you don't expect to see Geelong sitting in 10. Well, that's right. That's so right. And, you know, St Kilda could very well rise. I mean, even, okay, granted, Brisbane have only won one game, but they could climb, you'd have to think. Oh, you'd have to think they wouldn't finish outside the top eight. I'm not sure that Adelaide or Carlton will be there when all said and done. And if they are, they will have squeezed out a Geelong or a St Kilda or a pretty decent team. So, yeah, it's it's interesting. It's interesting. We'll have to, we almost have to screenshot the ladder and keep an eye on things when the season finishes. I think so. Now, while we're on fixturing, I guess, we can't jump ahead too far in the schedule because we're still on the rolling fixtures. And look, I don't hate it, to be honest. No, I think it's a necessity, really. Yep. In well, the COVID times. Yeah, obviously, we're not 100% out of the woods yet. I mean, you look at what happened recently in Brisbane and the impact that had on the NBL scheduling for starters. Well, and they're saying that there won't be international travel till 2024 now. Yeah, that's just throw a dart at the, the Yeah, wall. I know, I know. Look yeah. at a number, but yeah, who yeah. knows. But yeah, look, I'd imagine that they've got a master copy of what the scheduling should look like and would look like in a non-COVID time. And they'll be working off that as much as they obviously can, but they've probably got contingency plans for each of the major capital cities being shut down. And if you look at it, really, there's only five you've really got to worry about. You've only got to look at Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne, Adelaide and Perth. If any of those five get shut down, what do we do? Yeah. The thing I like most about this is that it means that the teams that probably weren't figured to be this good, so Sydney is a perfect example, will get more primetime games than they otherwise would have if it had a full schedule. So they might get a few more Thursday and Friday night games. And I think that's a good thing. Yeah. We want the good teams playing in primetime. So, yeah, I don't have a major problem with it. I actually quite like it. I think it's a great idea. Yeah. It's it's almost like a little advent calendar. (laughs) You know, at Christmas time, you get excited. Oh, it's the 15th. What do we do today? You open it up. Who are we playing next week? Oh, my God. We've got Sydney (laughs) Oh, it's a derby. (laughs) You know, like, no. So, quickly, a couple of major injuries. There's some big names. Xavier Dersma for Port is going to be out for several months. His leg and knee turned in every which way. And it's a real shame because he had the ball on a string. He was one of the best on ground. It was a really exciting game of footy. But he's a big out for Port. Taylor Adams also has done a knee. Stephen May looks like he was in, I don't know. A fight with Mike Tyson. Yeah, or Brain Dead, which is a horror movie reference directed by Peter Jackson, for those that are interested. Dead Alive in the US. (laughs) No. Yeah. Anyway, watch it. It's great. It's a bloodbath. Um, (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> Isaac Heaney for the Swans will be out for a little while. Shannon Hearn for the Eagles will be out. Oh, there's several others, but they're the biggest names. Th- those ones are all teams. That, you know, Collingwood obviously are struggling a lot at the moment, but the other four teams are certainly teams that are expecting to be pushing towards the top. Based four. on what's happened so far. Yeah. Yeah. And then the suspensions, there's more inconsistency at the tribunal. Ben Cunnington, for example. I mean, it looked really similar to the the Dangerfield suspension. Yeah, on Rory Laird. I don't think he made the same contact with the head, but... Well, that's the difference, isn't it? And that's the difference between a a fine and a a a One game was what he was originally offered. They brought it down to a fine. And and instead of a three-game suspension. A three in it, yeah. Now, the Caleb Daniel one, I think they've got that right. Oh, yeah, yeah. You can't spear tackle a guy with his head into the ground. It was it was like a really bad wrestling move. Yeah, yeah it just not in today's day and age. Yeah. It can't be done. Kiara Bowers did it in the AFLW, and I don't think she even got a match for it. I don't know how she got away with it. I mean, she's a great player. Maybe they wanted her playing. She's yeah. one of the best in the competition. I mean, you'd argue that Dangerfield's a pretty decent player, and they it, gave him three words. Well, yeah, yeah. But but the AFLW game maybe has less stars, and so they want to keep the stars on that. You know, no, but you're right. You're right. I don't, I don't think it's, we're reading into it too too far but yes no those sort of tackles should be removed from the game yeah. definitely no arguments here then the other big talking points in footy media world in the last week or so has been expansion and potentially a team in tassie and far north queensland or the northern territory and also dimmer suggested a loan system for win- within season right well i suppose we talk about the, the 20 team system first look you can argue potentially already that the talent is a bit diluted anyway. that's that's my concern that is my concern. And adding in another two teams with another what? Yeah, I don't know how big, maybe 50-odd, yeah. So it could yeah. be easily up to 100 players. Yeah, yeah. So it's quite a lot. Yeah, no, it is a lot. And when you see teams like North really struggling, yeah. yeah. I, I don't think it's a great idea. I don't know. I'm, I'm still not convinced GWS should be in the league. And look, look, we'll look at a couple of other things, I guess. Obviously, look, having a team in Tassie, I think, is important. Yes, it's great, Yes. I can see why they don't want North Melbourne right now. That makes makes sense. Absolutely. But they'll likely be starting off just as bad. Look at what happened with GWS and Gold Coast at the start. Oh, and I think think expansion teams accept that there will be lean years in the beginning because you've got to build from the ground up. Just the novelty factor will draw crowds initially for the first few seasons. But look, whilst I think the Tassie idea is a really good one, I'm not sure you can make quite the same case for Darwin or Cairns. Now, Darwin... Again, like it's a, it's a cool place, but you look at their stadium. To is what twelve and a half thousand people it holds. Ditto with Kazali Stadium in Cairns, that's thirteen and a half thousand. My understanding is that any expansion into any of these, including Tassie, would require major investment in stadia. I always say stadia as if it's a plural for stadium, and it's not. I wish it were. Should be. Should be. It's pretty cool. It's better than outs. <laughs> Anything's better than outs. <laughs> The other concern, of course, is population bases, I guess. So we've got about 170,000-odd in Cairns. There's, what, 130,000-odd in Darwin? I mean, it varies. They've, they've got a really transient population there. There's a lot of backpackers usually going in and out. I've seen it as high as 130. I've seen it as low as 86. I right. think COVID really would have hit their population. Yeah, it would have. And look, tourists enjoy going. It's like the Las Vegas effect for the NHL and the NFL. It's, it's a tourist thing to do. But the problem is they're not going to be members. So they might go to the odd game, but they're not going to go to 11 games. So so that's an interesting one too. It's tough. I mean, we want it to be an Australia-wide yes. competition. Yes, yeah. Oh, look, I'd, I'm glad that Tassie has an NBL team. And Tassie's population is about half a mil, so that's a little bit better. Hobart's, what, nearly 200 
thousand, I think we saw two hundred thousand in Hobart, about five hundred and forty thousand in Tasmania. Okay, so more than half a mil. Yeah, yeah. So that's a bit more sustainable. But at the same time, what's an average crowd in the NBL versus the? Average? Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, and yeah. This is yeah, the difference. Yeah, absolutely. You're, you're trying to find thirty to fifty thousand people to go to an yep. AFL game. Yep. At in a place that maybe only has 150,000 people. Yep. That's a Big, big stretch. Whereas- and again, once that novelty factor wears off, if your team is shitty, people might not want to fork out money to go and see a crappy team. Yep. Yeah. Now, the loan system is a really interesting one. Uh, I believe we probably have differing opinions on this. So what Damien Hardwick has said is that he's you know, in favour of this loan system, similar to the one I have in the soccer world. Teams can loan or trade players to opposition teams to fill a need. This is on the back of the Jared Witts injury where... Gold Coast now don't have a Ruckman on their team that's actually fit. So Hardwick has said, well, we've got this guy who would be a great fit for them and we're happy to lend him out. So what are your thoughts, Nath? Hate it. The key, the key there was trade, loan or trade. Let's bring in mid-season trading. That's fine. I don't have a problem with that. Bring in mid-season trading. I don't like this loan idea. We're not soccer. It, it, surely list management has to come into it. If you don't have enough Ruckman on your list, bad luck if he gets injured. Maybe you should have thought about that. That's what okay. I reckon. Okay. No, I don't like it at all. Like, what if? Can you imagine a scenario where a bloke's been loaned to a team and then kicks a goal after the siren to beat his own team? How fucked would that be? Yeah, and then, look, this. What is- if he missed on purpose because it's his own team? Well, then he's hurting his own stocks. But this is well, also well. But, but this is something you've also got to look at: is would you let them play against? their own team probably not well what's the point then you need them to play what you, you need a ruckman but you don't let him play against his own team well i don't no, like it no that's that's fine but you've got to look at it this way these guys are on the fringe of a club they don't know if they're ever going to actually make it officially for them this is an audition you show the club and all these other clubs out there what you can do and you might get a full-time contract out of it yeah oh, look and i appreciate that bring in mid-season trading yeah well, look i mean I, I don't have a problem with that yeah. as, as an alternate but yep. uh but yeah, look, I think it personally, it's a clever idea. It helps the parity of the league. A team like Gold Coast, who really should be pushing for the top eight, will officially not be able to get another Ruckman until the mid-season in the draft. And Well, again, let's let off bad list management, you know. Well, yeah. Well, what if they have five Ruckman and they all happen to get injured? I mean, shit happens sometimes. How, how, yeah. Then you get a good draft pick the yeah. next year. It's, yeah. It's, it's like my girlfriend was saying, like, she, <laughs> it's funny. So I, we, saw the, we saw the Swans-Essendon game at the pub. So I watched as a fan. I didn't really get to analyse it so much and I didn't get to see every exact moment. I actually feel like Lionel Hutz, you know. I saw Matt Lock in a bar last night. The sound was off, but I got the gist of it. Well, he, well he's coming his with a four. <laughs> but anyway, she was saying, oh, it's weird to see you actually supporting your team. And I'm like, no, I was supporting my team because those losses in the last couple of years you wanted us Dylan Stevens and Logan McDonald. When we're not finals bound, I don't want to be mediocre. I want to be shit. If my team loses all their Ruckman, okay, we'll bottom out and we'll get a good draft pick. That's my belief. I support you, Demo, for once. <laughs> now, I just want to quickly close out the AFL with something that I learned this week. Okay. It's not often I learned something because I know a lot of things. Well, it's very hard to teach you things. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I actually, I didn't realise that you would be pinged for holding the ball if you were in the middle of bouncing a ball while you got tackled. It was something that I, I did not actually know was a rule. I did because the bounce hasn't been completed, but I can understand, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I just thought that was that was really cool. And just quickly, to, to round it out with, with a big props to the AFL umpires, you're still shit. <laughs> Way too much inconsistency with a running too far. Liam Ryan got pinged for it over the weekend, which he well and truly did. He ran about 20 to 25 metres. 
But of course, that led directly to a goal for Brad Crouch, and we know what happened at the end of the St Kilda West Coast game. Mm. But I can count at least a dozen times in every single game where this happens, often in situations that would result in shots per goal, and it never gets called. They well, there just... was that goal of the year candidate where he ran too far last season. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Who just... was it? Paddy Cripps, I think it was. Uh, yeah, it was actually. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Seriously, just get rid of the fucking rule. Yeah. Well, look, I'll tell you what. I'll trade AFL umpires for NBL umpires any day. And now. What made Stu say bloody hell? Well, the bloody hell this week yet again comes with a nasty, gross warning, and it belongs to <laughs> Ryan Crowley. No, not the former Fremantle Docker, Nathan, ah. but a bodybuilder from the United Kingdom. Ah. He was working out recently in Dubai and bench pressing some obscene amount when all of a sudden his entire shoulder just pops out. Ooh. It turns out he's torn his entire pectoral tendon <laughs> off the bone. Ugh. And the muscle off the tendon. Oh, yikes. Yikes, indeed. And guess what? His travel insurance didn't cover it. Oh, no. Oh, no. Was it a... Oh, God. It's not all bad, though. He started a GoFundMe page. And look, admittedly, usually I hate these things because it's people that haven't taken insurance. But he had insurance. It just unfortunately didn't cover working out, which for him is a very everyday sort of activity. It's it's work for him, isn't it? Exactly. So thankfully, they've raised the £27,000 for him to get proper surgery. But gee whiz, the, the video of this thing is, it's hard to watch. I don't know if I can. I'm not too squirmish, but even I was a bit like, ooh. So for absolutely doing the opposite of bodybuilding in Dubai and narrowly avoiding a nasty Emirati surgery, all I can say is, Al Jahim Al Danmawiu, bloody hell. Bloody hell. Now, in the aftermath of the NCAA tournament, Shui, we forgot to mention last week that Roy Williams has retired from coaching at North Carolina, and he had a very storied career indeed. Yeah, 33 seasons at the helm of North Carolina. Two very good teams. And Kansas. Yeah, yeah he's yeah. done very well. So he's won four national championships. He was the assistant on the 1982 team where Michael Jordan effectively hit the game winner. Associated Press Coach of the Year twice, a member of the Basketball Hall of Fame, the College Basketball Hall of Fame, sits 11th all-time for wins with 903. He's the only coach in the top 25 for wins to have coached less than 36 seasons. Yeah, interesting. Very, very impressive. And just a lovely guy. He always gives a good interview, I find. So, yeah, he could be a good basketball analyst in the booth coming up. Who knows? Why not? That'd be great to see. Williams, of course, replaced by alum Hubert Davis, who's a, a very fine pick indeed, and joins the slew of former NBA players now coaching, including Juwan Howard, who had a very good season at Michigan, but also, of course, there's Patrick Ewing at Georgetown, Penny Hardaway at Memphis. Virginia's Tony Bennett. There you go. Played for the Charlotte Hornets for there a There you go. Seasons. Yeah, okay. There you go. Hubert Davis, actually the, only the fifth coach for the Tar Heels since 1961. Remarkable. Isn't it just? So speaking of things we forgot, <laughs> we forgot to mention Boogie Cousins has signed with the LA Clippers. I don't know how much that'll move the needle. I think it'll be a decent little pickup. It has potential. I think this is insurance for the Clippers. It's yeah. pretty decent insurance. Yeah. Probably better insurance than that guy in Dubai had. <laughs> but, but, <laughs> or uh, better than JaVale McGee, for example. JaVale McGee's been okay. For yeah, but Boogie's <laughs> a better player. Yeah. But look, if you look at what the Clippers have already got, Zubach has been playing pretty quality ball all season. Serge Ibaka will be back from injury fairly soon. They've got a lot of good guys who can play that small ball center. You look at guys like Patrick Patterson, Marcus Morris, even Nicholas Batum's big enough for that. But Zubac is a bit more of a finesse player. Boogie adds a bit more grunt and a bit more power, doesn't he? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Look, he can still come in and give him some decent minutes, but I just don't think he's going to dominate. Oh, no, he won't dominate. No, no. And then from that, we've got to go to some major injuries, I guess, don't we? Yeah, really huge one today. Jamal Murray, this just breaks your heart. It really does. 
I mean, this one probably has the biggest consequence yeah. out of all the injuries we've seen so far. Yep. It looks like a season-ending knee injury from what I can tell. One and of he these... was starting to really move into a new gear too, wasn't he? Yep. Just one of those non-contact ones and real funky landing. Does this put a line through Denver? I don't think it puts a line through Denver, but I think it increases Jokic's MVP credentials. But it nearly puts... I mean, considering how well Murray played in the playoffs... Well, it depends, well, it depends how you define put a line through, I guess. No, they're probably not... Champ- no, they're, they're, not, they're, not, they're championship. not championship contenders without Jamal Murray. Like they'll still make the playoffs, yes. Yeah, they're, they're yeah. talented enough. And they could even make the conference finals, but they're not making... Which would still be a huge ask. Uh, yeah, It'd be a huge ask. I don't know, man. They're yeah, no, no. They're starting backcourts now, Will Barton and yeah. probably Monte Morris. Yeah. Like, that's pretty good support if you've got a star player as your leading backcourt player. Luckily, if- they're a good passing team, so they're not relying on a point guard who does all the passing. <laughs> Jokic is going to have to go nuclear, but... Oh, yeah, yeah. He'll pretty much sew up the MVP because of this, I think. And they lost to Golden State today. Yes, they did. And funnily enough, it was a game where Steph Curry needed 19 to surpass Wilt Chamberlain to be the Warriors' all-time scorer. And he just had a, you know, lazy 53. Yeah, 10 of 18 from threes. No, (laughs) nothing much. Just just quickly while we are talking about the Warriors, another injury. Another injury, yeah. Yeah, James Wiseman. Yeah, yeah. Really, really sad. Torn meniscus in his right knee. He's only played 39 games this year. Do you think that rules him out of all rookie team? Uh, it probably depends on how the rest of the field goes, I think. But, it, you know, if it's going to rule a guy out of rookie of the year, then it probably has to rule him out of all rookie team contention. I, th- yeah. I think it does. Yeah, personally. probably. If you don't yeah. even play half the season, if, you, if you're right. If you wouldn't win a major award like an MVP or rookie of the year, yep. I don't know if you can really. So Yeah, well, they couldn't give Zion the rookie of the year last year on that basis. So, yeah. Just quickly, one of the other things I forgot to mention as well about Steph Curry, I can't believe I didn't mention this, do you know he's now only 254 threes behind Ray Allen for the all-time mark? It doesn't surprise me the way the modern game's changed. I didn't know that, but it doesn't surprise me. He'll yeah. get that midway, he'll smash midway through next season, oh, yeah. barring injury, yeah. and he'll probably end up around 4,000. Yep. Nuts. And speaking of <laughs> things we missed last week, we missed a lot last week. No, we always have things on the there cutting room floor. There's always so much to talk about. KD was fined $50,000 for his weird tweet exchange with Michael Rappaport. A lot of homophobic stuff there. He doesn't seem like a very nice individual, Kevin Durant, He's not does he? Someone who should have his own social media account. <laughs> like you would think with his massive contracts that he could hire somebody to just sort of look at it and go, Kevin. No, 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 <laughs> not good. What you've said here, 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 and here, not going to fly in the world of social media. But Kevin Durant said, I'm sorry people saw that. Not that I'm sorry I said it. Yeah. I'm sorry people saw that. Yeah, the old I'm sorry you're offended. So yeah, yeah. So not yeah. cool. No. Not cool. All right, sure. your favourite segment, Random Stats Time. Got to do it. Got to do it. Got to start this off with an on this day one, actually. Oh, one okay. that Yeah, one that didn't quite make the cut because it's quite recent. On this day, five years ago, Kobe Bryant retired after exploding for 60 points in a five-point win over the Jazz, the most points ever scored by a player in his final NBA game, and I dare say a record that probably won't be broken. And it was an absolute farce because they were passing him the ball every single time. I saw that game. Yeah. It was farcical. It was like a WWE match. Yeah, wasn't it? but it was, you know, yeah, it was a nice finish. And speaking of the Lakers, how crazy is this? Without Anthony Davis and LeBron James, arguably their two best defenders, the Lakers have actually improved their defensive rating. Wow. They had a win against the Nets the other day. Admittedly, Kyrie was ejected fairly early, but yeah. Okay. Hmm. I have a Zion Williamson stat, Shui. Zion has eight 30-point games where he didn't make a field goal outside the paint this season. Eight. The next, that's like a quarter of his games. Yeah, that's nice. The next best is Pascal Siakam with just two. Wow. 
Speaking of Zion, he's averaging 26.8 points a game on 62% shooting this season, which makes sense considering how few. Yeah, exactly. he's living in the paint. It's the most points averaged by anyone shooting more than 60% from the field and the highest field goal percentage for anyone with 15 or more field goal attempts a game. Mm, yeah, it's incredible. It's a historically efficient season. Absolutely, yeah. Good, good way of putting it. Efficiency is the word there. Speaking of efficiency, Stewie, not long after we recorded last week, the Atlanta Hawks shot 11 of 11 three-pointers in the third quarter, the most without a miss in a quarter in NBA history. That's another one that'll be really tough to break. That's a lot of shots. So it's, it's a lot yeah. to take and make. And you know? take and make, yeah, absolutely. Speaking of three-pointers and going back to Steph Curry again because he's doing so bloody well this season. He is. He's the only player in NBA history to make 200 or more three-pointers in eight seasons. Wow. That is nuts. Yeah, well, and that's why he's caught up to Ray Allen <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so true. quickly, isn't true, it? True, true. Now, I don't know how I quite feel about this one, Stewie, and if this is a comment on parody or if this is just one of those things. But all seven games on Monday, it might have been Sunday in the US, were decided by 15-plus points. The next best was on November 3rd, 1949, when there were five such games. There's probably only five games in the entire league. Possibly, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, that's a lot of blowouts. It's a lot it? of blowouts. Lot of it, blowouts. I don't know if that's good for the health of the wow, league. But it's not. Yeah. Now, Gary Trent Jr., we spoke about him being traded oh, to Toronto. Oh, yes. Nearly all the trade people have played really well, haven't they? have. So he had 44 points on 17 of 19 field goals the other day, including seven of nine from three-point range. He joins Giannis Antetokounmpo and Clay Thompson as the only guys in the last decade with 40 points on 85% shooting. Remarkable. It really is. Here's another one. The 76ers swept Boston for the first time in 20 years. I think the last time was that year they were lost to the Lakers in the NBA Finals. Hmm. And granted, Boston haven't been as good as they should, but they should have at least taken one game, you would have thought. You would have thought. The Chicago Bulls are 10 and 11 this season when Zach Levine scores 30 or more, making him the only player with 10 or more 30-point games this season to have a losing record. Mm, I really need to watch more Chicago. Good player, bad team. Yeah, yeah. Slightly better team since they got Vucevic. Yes, yes. TJ McConnell, gee, it's really dueling banjo stuff, isn't it? It is. TJ McConnell became the first player with multiple 15.15 assist games off the bench in a single season. He's done it twice since stats were first tracked in 1970-71. That's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. That is really cool. I like TJ. From TJ to RJ, RJ Barrett. Very nice. RJ Barrett's last five games, nearly 21 points a game, 61% from the field, nearly 70% from three. And this is for a Knicks team that's still eighth in the East. It's something I don't think anyone saw coming, so they're doing really well. Yeah. No, I need to watch more Knicks games too. And let's round this off with an absolute cracker. Oh, yes. Ennis Cantor had a game against Detroit a couple of days ago, 24 points and 30 rebounds. Whew. That's a franchise record for Portland. No surprise there. Jeez. And only the fourth 30 rebound game since 2000, joining Kevin Love, Andrew Bynum, and Dwight Howard. And and like I said, I think it was last week or the week, but I think it was last week, the leading team is about 50 rebounds a game. So for one individual to get 30 on his own is fucking crazy. It is. It's amazing. I always say this about Ennis Cantor, but one thing he does is rebound. He doesn't play defense, but he rebounds. Yes, like he can. Ha, ha, ha. So we're going to have to smash through the NBL. We probably need to set aside more time one of these weeks. Yeah, it's probably the stats. It's my fault. Uh, quick Mitch Creek update. So we've now worked out that his lawyer actually got him back playing because basically the NBL didn't have a stand-down policy like in the NRL. He advocated for his client and the NBL had to basically reinstate him. And again, innocent until proven guilty. So I can understand that. But I can also understand why people are booing the hell out of him. 
So some of the big contenders that we spoke about last week had a pretty decent weekend. Adelaide snapped Perth's win streak at nine games after dishing out an absolute shellacking at home. Perth has been playing with house money for quite some time. That loss was seemingly around the corner and they just kept winning and winning and winning. I don't know how they won that Sydney game. So I'm not surprised that they finally had that horrible game against Adelaide. And when Keanu Pinder's hitting three. Oh, he played a great. He had four or five blocks. Didn't yeah, he? he did. Yeah, he so, was all over the place. Nah, that was, look, it was good to watch. Illawarra took down Southeast Melbourne and Cairns to jump back into fourth spot. They're looking not too bad. I've got a crazy stat for you about Illawarra, mate. This is the 907th round in NBL history. Again, shout out to our NBL facts friend on Twitter. The Hawks are the first team to play three home games in the same round. Amazingly, they scored 82 points in all three games. Oh, wow. Yeah. That is nuts. And one of them was to Brisbane, if I'm not mistaken. It was. So in game 6,300, since quarters were first introduced in 1984, the Brisbane Bullets scored only nine points in the first quarter and were the first team to win. Wow. Yeah. Against said Hawks. There you go. As you mentioned, Brisbane beat Illawarra before they got beat by Melbourne United, but, I mean, they're playing ridiculous ball at the moment. All of a sudden, Sydney are actually the team that looks a little bit iffy. We saw Dayan Vasiljevic go down. Oh, so sad to see, wasn't it? Horrible, yeah, horrible Achilles injury. Yeah, Jarrell Martin's been playing awesome, though, in, in recent times. I, I think this might be a bridge too far for them, though. Yeah, well, look, they're outperforming my expectations. And, well, I don't think we can include Brisbane as a contender, even though Nathan Sobey is absolutely playing out of his skin and already has more 30-point games in 10-minute quarters than any other player in NPL history wow. with plenty of season to go. But they've lost Vic Law for the season, so they'll be relying on Sobey even more. Second leading scorer at 19 points a game. He's fourth in the league in rebounding at just over eight a game. So yeah, yeah, yep, yep. Those are big numbers. I like what I saw of him in the Brisbane games I've seen so far. Yeah, I mean, Lamar Patterson was decent in his return. When they're not calling fucking bogus fouls on him. <laughs> Some of those. He didn't get much help. And speaking of people that don't get much help, Nathan Sobey does need a lot of help. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I actually thought would be quite interesting, because, look, it's not working with the small guys. Jason Caddy is shooting the worst percentage in his career. Right. I would actually like to see them throw out a lineup from time to time, even if it's just for a couple of minutes, with Matt Hodgson, Harry Froling, and Tyrell Harrison. Have the, wow. Have the three big guys in there. Because Froling can shoot the three. He can, but he's not very mobile. No, of course. Oh, look, it's worth experimenting. But They're going to have to be creative without Vic Law. Yeah, you, you yeah. play some form of a 2-1-2 zone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're going to dominate the glass. Yep. And you're going to dominate Take them down low, yeah. Yep. You've got to try something. Yeah, yeah, no, they will. They will have to. But, geez, I'll tell you what, it's looking more and more like it's going to be a, a Melbourne derby. Oh, it's possible. And we talked about expansion teams. If South East Melbourne were to do that well in only their second season, that would be an absolutely remarkable effort. Look, they're both deep. They can fill it up at the drop of a hat. I dare say the champion is going to come out of one of those two. We can't write off Perth, though, after that win against New Zealand today. We, that we, was incredible. We, we can't, but they're, they're playing a lot more like I thought they would be. Yeah, 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 really scratching and Grinded out, yeah, winning yeah. the 70s, that sort of thing. So. And, and Cotton's still putting the points on the board, but he's taking a lot of shots, and yep. he's not shooting at a great percentage the last few games. Well, I mean, he'd missed 17 straight three-pointers yeah, before well, that's he had right. that crazy game-tying shot today. Yes, yeah, that three, that was huge. Look, i got to say, unfortunately, there were some pretty bogus fouls down the stretch too. Like that one against Abercrombie for a moving screen was very spurious. Bog standard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But with that being said, then there was one where John Mooney got a clear block, which sent Vinton Delaney to the line when he didn't deserve two shots. So I don't know, maybe it was swings and roundabouts. Swings and roundabouts. But yeah, but poor I, umpiring again. Yeah. Look, if you look at the first game in Launceston though, 
look, it's great to have it back. A lot of issues with the clock. Yeah, they had yeah. So yeah, you said many that. issues where the clock would just uh, start running and it did kind of impact the flow of the game quite a bit, which was a bit annoying. But look, great to see Rob Lowe back. Nice close game, obviously, really exciting down the stretch of the fourth quarter oh, yeah, and in the yeah, overtime. So yeah. I guess you'd have to call it a mild success. I thought it was a Wildcats loss for sure. I can't believe Cotton hit that shot to force OT. And then the breakers went up by five or maybe even seven. Yeah, five, early in OT. So, yeah, good win. All right, Stuart, you know what that music means. What are you amped for? Well, there's not actually really much in the AFL this week that looks that exciting, but I am keen to see the Eagles and Pies in a replay of last year's elimination final boil over. I'm keen to see it too. Thanks for not taking the ticket that our mate offered. Because I'm getting it now. It's also a replay of round 11 of 1989. Um, <laughs> in the NBL, some absolute crackers. Sydney and South East Melbourne in Sydney. Melbourne United versus Illawarra in Melbourne are probably the two picks. So, yeah, it's going to be a cracker of a round. How about yourself? I'm very, very much looking forward to heading to Optus Stadium to see the Eagles and the Pies, to see that place filled up. Until next time, I'm Nath. And I'm Stu. We are the Sport Blokes. Sport Blokes.